You are listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson, exploring biblical prophecy for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Prophet Pearls, meet the prophets. They're people right out of history. Nehemia and Keith, they're looking for the pearls and the prophets. Someday, maybe Keith will win the fight. And Nehemiah will see the light. Prophet Pearls, have a Yehovah time, a Yehovah time. Have a Prophet Pearls time. Wilma! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was the introduction from the, the one and only Nehemiah Gordon, who's come up with an original introduction to Prophet Pearls. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Look, to admit you, you to the people that this was your idea, Keith. No, no, no. Well, listen, you come up with something original. We're going to be in, in, in the land of Israel here in the next couple of weeks. After that, we'll get back to our, our good old-fashioned introductions. But in the meantime, we've had to pull some things at different places. And you've come up with the last few introductions, which I think yeah. you went from Star Wars to, to, Star, Trek. to Star Trek. Oh, I should do Star Wars. That's I can't idea. wait till next week. I, I literally can't wait till next week. I mean, what are you going to come up with next week? <laughs> Just do me a favor. Whatever you come up with, make sure you listen to the theme music. <laughs> so what the others? It won't help. <laughs> where are you and where am I? I'm upside down in the earth. This is our third attempt at recording. Why are we on our third attempt? Because we are in a bit of a struggle. And uh, it's let's just say we're in a sensitive situation. Uh, I'm in a sensitive situation where we, we, we sometimes – Things don't get um, – t- t- we're not able to say everything we want to say. And, and, of course, where are you, Nehemiah? I, I just want to – I am the wandering Jew in San Antonio, Texas. But you were living in San Antonio. What are you – Well – Where, where this, are you? I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened. What happened? You, you, you know, so I, so some, some really wonderful people were um, uh, hosting me, and um, I was out in Washington and found out when I was over in Washington that – that there were some issues in the house where I was staying, and now it's under repairs. And so I came back, and there was no room in the inn for me to lay my head, and so mm-hmm. I had to go to the Best Western. Okay, so you're at the Best Western. You broke something at the house. No, I didn't break you... anything. I wasn't even in the state. <laughs> I've been with you several times in houses, I'm telling you. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Well, listen, and I'm, I, I have just returned. Hopefully, if you're listening to this right now, I am back safe uh, in the, the most populous city in the world where some doors are flinging open. I cannot wait to get with you face-to-face, Nehemiah, mm. in the land of Israel where Amen. I can tell you where we can talk about it based on your experiences and mine. I'm really looking forward to this, but folks, we should know actually recording this week and next week ahead of time with the hopes that we will then meet face-to-face uh, at Bubby Dina's. That's right, folks. We're going to be bringing the Prophet Pearls, recording it from the land of the prophets in a place that I cannot wait to get to. Live from um, Jerusalem, it, Israel. We're live from no, Jerusalem, Israel. I think we're going to take a motorcycle over there. Right. And uh, once we get there, we're going to attempt to record as many as possible face-to-face because our travel schedules and the logistics and the technology have just been horrendous. Uh, we've got a few places that we're going to be even in the next few weeks uh, – I'm sorry, in the next few months where we're not sure – Who's going to be where? And it's just real difficult to do it. So uh, the door has been opened. We're going to be in the land of the prophets, and we're going to do some. We're going to we're going to need your help. Can I can I say this right now? Yeah. 
we're going to need people's help because when we're doing this, we're obviously going to be doing all of them. Now, we're going to be prepared because we've read, I mean, reading and studying and preparing. But I'm going to ask people even more during the next couple of weeks when we are recording them in March that people would really do some work with us uh, ahead of time. That They would mm-hmm. begin to look into the, uh, into the sections that we're going to be recording and to fill in the gaps where we may have missed it. Bring in some um, some uh, some perspective, comment on our pages nehemiaswall.com, bfainternational.com, and and give your comments about uh, these profit pros. So this kind of changes the game. It's a little yeah. different than we had hoped, but and I think it's kind of exciting. So let's see if we can record this week, Nehemia. We're actually yeah. in uh, a great section in uh, Kings First Kings chapter five, verses twenty six through King, uh, First Kings chapter six. Uh, verse 13, and our prophet pearl partners, who are the two servants of El Elyon, Yehovah El Elyon, uh, they don't like to have their name, but they have been awesome. They've been supporting us. Uh, they've actually supported. They've become prophet pearl partners for four or five of these these sections. And so this one, uh, I just want to say to them, they know who they are. Thank you so much for supporting us. As you can see, <laughs> it is a challenge. Nehemiah is uh, presently in a hotel. I'm upside down in the earth, having just returned from Africa and the, the 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 beats just keep on coming. So thank you to our Prophet Pro partners. Let's jump in Nehemiah. Yeah. First Kings chapter five. Yeah, so, so we're here in, in the section which is um the Prophet Pearl section that corresponds to the Torah portion of Truma. It's mm-hmm. uh the Torah portion is Exodus twenty five one through twenty seven nineteen. The Prophet mm-hmm. Pearl's portion, the Prophet portion is one Kings five twenty six through six thirteen. Mm-hmm. And what what do you see the connect? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's when, pretty, you, when you read that, what is what is it that you know? Is it, is this one of those okie dokes? I mean, is this pretty clear? Yeah, no, this is pretty clear. So in Exodus twenty five, we have the the building of the tabernacle in one Kings five twenty six through six thirteen. We've got the um, the building of the temple. Um, it's pretty mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. It's okay. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. All right. Now I want to ask you a question. Yeah. You know, basically, if people look at First uh, Kings five twenty six, all right, where does it open up? Where does it open <clears throat> open up for you? 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, well, let's see, isn't it, uh, would you have different verse numbers in your in your English Bible? Oh, right, we'll see 1 Kings here, here in 1 oh. Kings, it ends in Yeah, 526 in, in the... It says... Oh, I yeah. see. So, so you have a different, you've got, wow, you're way off, yeah, yeah, you guys. Yeah. So that's verse, verse 12 in the English. Okay, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. 1 Kings 512 in the English, yeah. Okay. It's, it's 1 Kings 512 in the English? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you read the right section, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. No, 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 no question about that. What I was going to say was interesting is that when it says five twenty six yeah. for us, and I'm just looking here, yeah. and I'm actually reading, folks, in my in my trusty NIV. Why do I like the NIV? Mm. Because it does great as far as modern language. It doesn't do so well as far as always matching with the original intent of scripture. But I'm able to go back and forth, and so in terms of communication. I do love the way that the NIV uses the English language, which is, you know, which, oh, I yeah. could, boy, I could give you a story. I, I won't do that. Uh, but as I mentioned, um, when I open up the Hebrew Bible, obviously it's a little different. Now, Nehemiah, real quick, when you see your Hebrew Bible, it says at 526. Yeah. Now, do you happen to have the ability, right. I think you do with the computer, to see the difference between where the Hebrew Bible opens up for this section and where the English Bible opens? So just really clear, the English verse is? 1 Kings 512. Which actually is interesting in the uh, in the NIV, the middle of a paragraph. <laughs> so so the section is opening up in the middle of a paragraph in my in my English Bible, but for you it starts out as oh it's the middle of a paragraph. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it starts off and Yehovah gave, uh, gave wisdom to Solomon to Shlomo as he spoke to him as he had spoken to him. 
Um, and there was peace between uh, Hiram and between Shlomo, and they made a covenant between them. Okay, awesome. That's what it starts out as, 1 Kings 5.26, okay. which right. is 512 in the English. 512 in the English. So there's a lot of verses yeah. we're off here, folks. Just bear yeah. with us as we're going through here. King Solomon constructed Our verses are off. Our sound is off yeah. because you're at a Yeah, the time is off. Okay. I'm, I'm a day ahead of you. It's funny. When we were trying to organize this, and Hemi said, we'll be meeting on the 13th. So, of course, I was ready on the 13th, which happens to be yesterday. And, but it's now the 14th, Denise. <laughs> and the time is off. You're on the, I don't know where Look, you I'm, are. Look, I'm in America. In America, they only know their own time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you something about that. Every day when, yeah. I, when I'm, I'm, uh, I'm up in the morning, I go downstairs, there's a calendar in front of me when I come out yeah. uh, preparing to go outside into the rain or wherever. And, and the calendar does two things. It shows what time it is according to the Gregorian calendar. And then before it says that this is what time it is according to the lunar calendar. So every single day uh, in, in, in this now, part lunar, of China. lunar, you mean the Jewish calendar? The lunar – yeah, well, you can call it the Jewish calendar. I mean the, I'm saying – Well, but what, what, it's the lunar calendar used by the Chinese, you mean? Not, yeah, not you, the lunar calendar lunar. used by the Chinese. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so right. when you go out, you see both dates. And it's really interesting because every day I'm confronted with the fact that here they acknowledge both times. And, and yeah, boy, I, I wish I could – I wish I could uh, – I won't bore you all with all of that. But there's some really exciting things about – what I call the sights, the sounds, the smells of what I sometimes sense when I'm reading scripture or the things that I've learned about God's time over the last few years. And now to see how here uh, that in this culture, um, according to the, the, the lunar cycle, that, you know, th- that over here, they're like, well, they're, they're counting the days based on oh, Pope Gregory and they're counting the days based on th- the cycle of the moon. And, and I just think, you know, for me, when I see that, I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. But anyway, back to the issue of the dates and the times and how we're confused yeah. back and forth. And we've got the verses back and forth. So, oh, so, so it's interesting that you mentioned that there's this dual. Like, did you do that on purpose? Because you, you want to talk about chapter 6, yeah. verse 1? Oh, okay. I'm trying can't to hold on to that for until we get six, not, one. Not, it's, it's really interesting. But we're in 526, which you call 512. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's do okay. it. So he... He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month. Can we stop for a second? So Solomon, it says the conscripted. What what does it say in the Hebrew Bible there? Oh, um, (laughs) so it says, and and King Shlomo raised up a tax from all of Israel. I love this. And the tax was 30,000 people. Okay. 30,000 men. Uh, Now, when you you read that, what, what do you think? Like, like no, seriously, when you hear those words, what what comes to mind? <clears throat> well, so so first of all, the you know first, I mean, honestly, the first thing I thought of when I when I saw here tax and Solomon is what happens later on mm-hmm. um, with the whole story of Rehoboam, his son, who who has an encounter with Jeroboam or Yeroboam, and what happens there is they um, they they you know they come to Solomon's son and they say, look, the burden of your father was very heavy. Can you make the burden you know lighter? And the elders say, "Yeah, you know, if, if if you if you serve them today, they'll serve you for the rest of your life." And but his friends who are his age say, "Nah, you let them know that you're no wimp. That uh, that that if you know the if your father Solomon beat them with whips, you're going to beat them with with scorpions, and um, meaning the taxes are going to be much higher." Mm-hmm. And then I love what happens after that. So he sends his taxman uh, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the son of uh, of Solomon, <clears throat> sends his taxman. It's in 1 Kings 12, 18. 
uh, in the Hebrew. I don't know what verse that is in the English. 1 Kings 12.18 um, and oh, it's the same in the English. It says then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute. In Hebrew, it says over the tax, the mas. Mm-hmm. And all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him in it, up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> so he sends the tax man, and they and they stone him, they kill him, and the king himself has to flee. And and the seeds of that event that would lead to the split of the kingdom. This kingdom splitting in two is in this verse that we just read, yeah. where Solomon says, I've got to build a big temple, a beautiful temple for a great, wonderful God that requires taxes. Mm-hmm. And so that that was that taxation was forced labor. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. So let's ask the question if this isn't too controversial. You know, it's at first glance it's like, wait, that's kind of barbaric. Their taxation was forced labor. Mm-hmm. Is ours is our system any different? Okay, folks, we're going to have that edited out. Let's move on. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, so, so in other words, let's let's make this. Let's put these in, in sort of practical yeah. terms. What I like about us reading the prophets yeah. and uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So for today, yeah. in terms of the, some parallel to what was happening then, what would be if you were saying like what do you give it? Give it to me clear. Um, well, so 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 if one way of looking at it is to say, okay, well, where is a person forced to work for the government? And the answer to that would be like you know if you have to do community service, mm-hmm. that could be a parallel. But I don't think that's a fair parallel because that's a punishment, whereas community services, whereas this was just like for being a citizen, you have to pay the you know you have to mm-hmm. provide this service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do rethink the parallel. You know, if somebody in the U.S., for example, pays I don't know, let, let's just throw or in many countries, you know, you may pay a tax rate that's let's say it's twenty five percent, right? Mm-hmm. So that means you know. So the way we look at that is you're paying one quarter of your money, but the way they're describing it here is basically one out of every four days you're working for the government, mm. and that's what's being described here in um, in uh, you know the story of Solomon. It's one every three for a month they would work for the government and they could go home for two months and work for themselves. Then they'd come back the fourth month and work for the government. Mm-hmm. Two more months, five and six, they're back at home. Month seven, they're working for the government. They're working for Solomon, and that's the cycle that's being described there. Okay. So, in a sense, when I go, you know, when you're when you're a person is going in and they look at their check, they could actually calculate and say of the total amount that I made this month, this day was a day where I just spent specifically worked for the government because they took the- all day. I worked hard and I sweated, yeah. and I and I labored, and it was for. Uh, for the for the U.S. government, okay. yeah, exactly, or whatever country. You're All in. right. Well, I'm I'm going to have to agree with you. I think that that's really um, I think that's uh, apropos <laughs> for the situation. Okay. <laughs> so okay. So so the, so so there, that's what he the, he taxed them. It says and he sent them off to Lebanon in yeah. shifts of ten thousand a month, so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Wow. That uh, man, uh, boy, I could go further. Um, let me ask this, Nehemiah. In, in Israel right yeah. now, with the um, the military, and they have yeah. the, uh, they have the, the 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 volunteers that are you know that serve at a certain time, and depending, let's just say it's not a time of, of uh, specifically like the Gaza fifty day war, but but on a normal basis where there's a guy who's working yeah. at a, a company and he works at that company, but there's an understanding that at a certain time he's going to be a part of the reserve. Is that right? So, yeah. So is so Israel has a, a system that that 
some people would argue is based on this, but it's actually based on the, and it may be partly based on this, but it was based directly on the, on the Swiss army. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, it's not the Swiss army knife, but the Swiss uh, <laughs> military. Um, they actually went to Switzerland and studied the system there and, and they implemented an Israeli version of it, which is, you, you know, the way it works today is, if, well, I'll take, for example, my nephew. So my nephew is, uh, when he turned 18, he was drafted into the Israeli military and he's now in, in an, an elite combat unit called Golani, and um, he's in that unit for three years. Now, at the end of three years, they might say, wow, you're the best soldier we've ever had. We want you to stay longer, and so he can volunteer to stay longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if he doesn't end up staying longer, you know, they have to invite him to do that. Um, even if he ends up you know, finishing after three years, which most people do, then they will call him once for, uh, and it varies, and the system is changing all the time, but, but pretty much it's like... Um, They'll call you for a month every every year or every two years, depending on what you know how your unit is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 yeah, you could have you know my nephew who five years from now is working for a high tech company, mm-hmm. and um, and you know he'll work for the high tech company eleven months out of the year, and that twelfth month, whenever that happens to be, they'll um, they'll say you've got to come and serve in your army unit, mm-hmm. and all the other people in his army unit will come and serve as well. So yeah, so so it's partially based on this, you could say. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting that the 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 society you know. The, Present day, I mean, just that picture, you know, basically, yep, that's yeah. the way it is. And, and there's, there are reserves also in the United States Army. I've met people right. who, you know, at different times, they know it's a weekend, they go and they serve in the uh, reserve. But um, this picture, right, but the difference is in the U.S. military, you, you have a draft. Mm-hmm. You don't have a draft anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get into that reserve system in the first place unless you volunteer to be in it. Right. Whereas uh, in the Israeli military, um, you know, we have a people's army where everybody is. Um, not everybody, but most citizens are in the army or are supposed to be in the army, mm-hmm. um, certainly when they're young. And so my nephew, for example, he may continue to do that until he's like maybe 40 or 45. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Imagine that. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, it says here seven, that Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 uh, stonecutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 yeah. foremen who supervised the project and directed the workmen. I mean, he had a, he had a system. Oh. Was, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. We're just... <laughs> Go ahead. So, so that word, uh, um, yeah. So, which, which, wow. So, I'll tell you what it says in Hebrew. That's was verse thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Or verse sixteen in the English. Yep. It says, um, all right. Well, let's just read the, the end part. It says, "Harodim ba'am ha'osim ba'malacha," which yours translated, um, "Having charge of the people who did the work." Mm-hmm. Is that, directed oh, the, the, directed the workmen. Yes. Okay, and then in the JPS it says. Um, who were in charge of the work and supervised the gangs doing the work. And what it says in Hebrew is Harodim Ba'am, who, um, who uh, had dominion over the people. And that's the same word it uses in Genesis, where it says, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a word of conquest, a word of, um, of you know, subjugating something to serve your needs. Mm-hmm. And that... that that it's really a word of subjugation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really, it's who subjugated the people or who dominated the people who did the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not being described in positive terms. This is foreshadowing what's going to happen in two king or later in one kings twelve when uh, they come to uh, Rehovah. I like that word. It's preparing, the preparing us for that it's a foreshadow. Yeah, yeah. At the king's yeah. command, they removed uh, from the quarry large blocks of quality stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. Let me read this last verse here. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and the men of, uh, let me see, Gaval cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. And I 
I have to say, you know, you can read something like this and, and you can read it and you can move on and you can kind of get an image and you've seen pictures and you've, you know, you've seen that sort of thing. But I have to tell you, uh, Nehemia, this, this really does bring me back to um, the, the beginning of the time that you and I met. Now, someone asked me the question, my wife, Andrea, she said, how long have you and Nehemia uh, known each other? How many years have you, you've been, you know, walking along this path of, of the Bible and that? And I said, it's been... Uh, it, it has been 12 plus years. 2002 is when we met. Our first meeting was around the Torah scroll. Our second meeting was just outside the place where Yehovah placed his name forever. But we were waiting to go underneath uh, the old city of Jerusalem down into the tunnels. And I have to tell you that that image down there is is plastered in my brain when I read something like this. And it talks about the stones and about the the actual the, the actual you know what it was that Solomon. Um, and I'm, not, I'm specifically speaking about what's there today. I'm not speaking about looking at the stone that Solomon moved, but just the the way that the stones and how large the stones are, and the, the way that um, you know these these stones are used and moved, and and how, what what they would have done. I mean, it just it still overwhelms me. Um, the way that they did this. Now, you, you, you come from an archaeological background. So when you hear about this, what, what kind of comes to your mind about these stones and what it was that Solomon was doing? Yeah, so, you know, I, so yeah, one of the first things I think about um, these big cut stones is, um, you know, we go into the, in the Israel Museum, they have this place where, um, you know, in the archaeology section where they have these these giant black stones. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. They're giant black stones, and they have like a lion on the side, um, and they're and they're made of what's called basalt, which is a volcanic rock, and that was used for these sort of decorations at the corners. Like you know, these were that's probably what it's describing. These are the precious stones that were cut hewn stones, um, and the reason that basalt was was used for that especially is one is that it was black and it stood out against the. The, the limestone, which was all the rest of the stones. But also it's like a very hard stone, so it's a great stone for a foundation, a uh, very strong stone. Great stone for a foundation, great for, like, corners. It's not going to crack or break. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's difficult to cut. But once you get that thing cut, that's a that's beautiful. That's going to really hold your building. And that's what, I, that's what I think when I hear about these ashlers or, or hewn stones. Really? Wow. So I want to – okay. So anyway, so we're dealing with these stones. We're dealing with, with what Solomon did. And again, I'm – you're going to have to really help me through this because as we're reading, again, I have a hard time yeah. as far as the history, knowing, reading the Bible, understanding the, the, the history of what took place in, in the present day battle. Because we talk about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Well, today, mm-hmm. the battle over where that temple was and all that, you know, I said we're not going to get into all that. But the, 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 let's, just, let's just say this. Uh, th- there's, there's an ability to cut these stones right from the place where the temple was built. In other words, there's stone there. I mean, you know, there's quarries. There's, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And I guess is what I was trying to what I was trying to get to. I was going. I was going. I thought you were going to put on your thing. It's like I got my archaeology degree from Hebrew University, and you're going to be talking about. I do have my archaeology degree. You from do absolutely. You do, and I'm very proud of that. All right. And so I was giving the archaeologist answer, which is that it probably was one of these big black basalt stones. Mm-hmm. Um, which contrasted nicely with all the white limestone that would have been on top of it and mm-hmm. around it, mm-hmm. like that would have been the you know the, the great foundations there. Now that's obviously not what um, what what Herod did. You know, uh, a thousand years later, what he did is he took limestone from actually the northern part of the Temple Mount and he mm-hmm. slid it along the the slope, and then he used that to build up the the southern part, which was kind of mm-hmm. um, uh, a depression. He and flattened it out. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were That's looking what for? I was looking for. 
<laughs> you're okay. just not. You're just not cooperating today. You're kind of no, like I'm giving this, the uh, archaeology answer, not the tourist you're answer. Kind of, you're kind of like this. Uh, you're like this technology. You know, I, while, while we're doing this, you folks, I've switched between three different things on the fly. In fact, one of the deals, the battery was going down. The other one, the bat. You know, I mean, this is really. <laughs> so when I'm giving you these softballs, it's usually because I'm trying to figure out how to keep us going here. <laughs> Oh. And you know, in the old days, Nehemia, when we did the original prophet, uh, the original Torah pearls, there would mm-hmm. there'd be time where you talk for hours, like you would just go on and on and on, and I'd have to interrupt you. But now you're being so so complimentary, and you're stopping, and you're not interrupting, and I'm just not used to this. Because <laughs> you keep cutting out, and I can't hear you. All right, I'm going to read you. I'm going to I'm going to jump over to uh, and and here's homework for people because we're not going to get to all of this. No. What the homework for people is they've got to go. You cannot read a section in Kings like this without looking at the parallel passage in Chronicles. Yes. You can't do it. You just can't. So they've got to go for homework and read two Chronicles chapters two and three. There it is. We're not going to read all of them right now. but And specifically what I want people to do is look at the numbers. Uh, we could probably spend a whole se- section, a whole session, a whole program just talking about the numbers, how they compare between Chronicles and and, and, and Kings. We don't have time for that. We're not going to do that. But I just want to read a little section of the interaction that went on between Solomon and Hiram, or Hiram of Tyre, um, which we don't hear about. We just hear they made a covenant and they, or a treaty in, in your English, and they had this kind of interaction, and we don't really know much about it. But I love the, in, the details that we get in the book of Chronicles. I'm going to read you from the JPS, uh, chapter, 2 Chronicles 2.2, 2, and I'll try to go quickly. And, because you know, the people are going again, to read it, too. You, you told the people to read right. it. Right. Okay. All right, but I just, we're going to discuss part of this. Yes. Solomon sent this message to King Huram of Tyre. It, in view, and it's, now it's in quotations, obviously, in the original is no quotation marks, but um, this is the letter. In view of what you did for my father David in sending him cedars to build a palace for his residence, see, I intend to build a house for the name of Jehovah my God. I will dedicate it to him for making incense offerings of sweet spices in his honor, for the regular rows of bread, and for the morning and evening burnt offerings on Sabbaths, new moons, and festivals as in Israel's as is Israel's eternal duty. The house that I intend to build would be great, inasmuch as our God is greater than all gods, who in, in now, I mean, can we be honest here? Solomon wasn't politically correct. I mean, could you imagine today this happening, Netanyahu sending a letter to Abu Mazen and saying, uh, uh, you know, How about dear the king president of Jordan? Let's of the, don't do Abu Mazen. Let's or the king, king Your Majesty King, uh, I don't even know the name of the King of Jordan, King Abdallah, um, uh, our God is the greatest of all gods, Yehovah, the creator of the universe. He is the greatest of all gods. Could you imagine what the reaction would be of, of the king of Jordan? Um, and the world would say, you know, he's insulted them. He's, he's you know, but this is, this is, this is Solomon. The house that I intend to build is, uh, will be great as much as our God is greater than all gods, who indeed is capable of building a house for him. Hmm. Even the heavens to their uttermost reaches could not contain him. And who am I that I should build him a house mm-hmm. except as a place for making burnt offerings to him? That's a really interesting theological uh, statement. In other words, God doesn't actually live in the house. This is just a place to bring sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's fascinating. Um, now send me a craftsman to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, etc. And, and so they end up sending him. He ends up getting his you know version of B'Tsalel. Um, remember in, in the Torah, there was the guy B'Tsala who was inspired to work mm-hmm. in, in, in all this workmanship. And so they have this um, uh, uh, their own version of Batsala, who Hiram of Tyre sends. Um, so let's just skip ahead to verse uh, verse ten. Uh, Huram, king of Tyre, sent Solomon this written re- message in reply. 
Um, because Yehovah uh, because loved his people, he made you king over them. Huram continued, Blessed is Yehovah, God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth, who gave King David a wise son endowed with intelligence and understanding to build a house for Yehovah and a royal palace for himself, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, isn't that amazing? So, so instead of what we would have today, where the UN would come and, and condemn King Solomon for insulting the god of, of the Jordanians, instead Huram or Hiram, as he's called in some places, the king of Tyre responds and he says, "Yeah, you know, your god is amazing. Hmm. I know his name and I bless him." And you know, uh, Hiram, Hiram of Tyre, isn't condemned for speaking this name, which is too holy for a Gentile to speak. Hmm. Instead, Scripture presents this as. Look, even even this Tyrian king recognized how Give great God the God of Israel is. Give God praise. Yeah, and that, Amen. Think, yeah, that's boy, that is amazing. So listen, let me just say this right now, Nehemiah. If you don't hear me, uh, just keep talking. Yeah. We've got an amazing editor. Okay. No problem. I'll we, do yeah, that. We, got, yeah. we have an amazing editor. We've got this set up so that we actually our voices are coming through two different channels. So what he can do is, if I listen to the edits and I don't like what you're saying, I'll just have him cut me in. And, no uh, wait, what? <laughs> Must not happen. No, it won't work that way. The next, this is my last couple of weeks of doing this, so you can just talk as long as you want. If I don't like it, gotta... wait. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, 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 so now can we go to uh, to? In fact, I like Please. your I like your yeah. homework Let's for the people it. because uh, that you cannot. Boy, boy, oh boy! Just listen. Just reading the sections of scripture regarding this, I just think paint an amazing picture. Um, it says here the temple, uh, and, and actually, I want to ask you. Ah, boy. The temple that King Solomon built for Yehovah was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So you, you're going to drag us into the issue of, of the dimensions and talk, and talk well, about I actually Chronicles. did some. So I did want... some research on this, and I don't want to drag us into yeah. the issue. But I was really surprised at how far people go to um, – to explain what this actually looks like, the exact dimensions of this, yeah. and then the exact dimensions of connecting that with the Mishkan, uh, and and, right. and what and what the well, don't you know there's deep symbolism in these numbers when it says sixty, it actually has prophetic significance. So so <laughs> yes, okay. So so listen. So I know you're going to go on. You're going to start beating your drum. But let me tell you something. It's a really fascinating what? study. Just to go in to ask what, what, what potentially now what, like, without going beyond scripture though. Without going beyond scripture, yeah. uh, these numbers yeah. that jump up. Now you know me, Nehemiah. For as long as you've known me, I've been like a big numbers guy. I love the numbers. I'm just going to let everyone know I'm a numbers guy. You're the numbers guy. <laughs> I love huh? The numbers. Uh, only because sometimes the numbers c- jump off the page and you don't have to do gymnastics with them. They just like, wow, you know, 50 loops of the da 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 you know, I mean, the arc and all that. But it's fair to say that this does give us um, what the actual dimensions were of, of this particular, um, uh, that which uh, Solomon is building. And, and again, Mr. Archaeology. Uh, guys, so when when we we look at when we hear about the second temple that was built, and I don't want us to go into great detail, but how big of a difference between yeah. that which Herod built and what Solomon built? Just just off the top of your head, how big of a difference do you think? Well, it was so the the, the biggest oh, where I so the, the real answer is we don't actually know exactly how big his temple was. What we know is what we could say for sure archaeologically is the Temple Mount platform was um, he doubled the size of it. We're told. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that was even the temple that Zerubbabel had built on the on the ruins of Solomon's temple. Herod came and doubled the the entire enclosure. So what we see today that we call the Temple Mount, uh, only half of that was um, was actually the 
the area of the Temple of Solomon. And, and technically, it might be a quarter because if he doubled the length and doubled the width, you know, that makes it four times uh, a larger area. Mm-hmm. So it might only be a quarter of the area that was um, that was the original Temple of Solomon. Now, Nehemia, you know, again, we're, I'm hoping that we don't get cut out, folks. So you're listening right now. I just have to throw this out. I can't let us off the hook because I'm not sure when we're going to talk about this again other than I'll bring, be bringing it up as we're in Israel. But um, there's been some discussion uh, about uh, people saying that the, the, the president of the Temple Mount, uh, where, the, where the second temple was, where Herod built his temple, is not the place yeah. where the first temple was. I get notes from people about this all the time. I've been surprised. Uh, there have been right. people. Oh, it's, that have it's been gaining in popularity. And, this this theory. So yeah. tell me what. Tell me what that. When you hear about that, tell me what your thought is. I mean, right. can I? So, put you so on the I spot? was I, mean, I was handed this. I was handed the book um, that that started this all. Um, maybe about ten years ago. Could it have been that long ago? Mm-hmm. By our fr- our mutual friend Bruce Brill, and he asked me, "Can you could you help me discern this?" And I read the book. Um, where it presented the theory that the original temple was not on the site of what we call the Temple Mount today, but it was actually on the site of um, of uh, the Gijon Spring, yes. which is you know I don't know about a few hundred meters or you know I don't know it's it's nearby it's like within visual sight of what the Temple Mount, but it's not the exact spot down the hill. Of, <laughs> It's da- it's down the hill, and then and then part of their argument, or part of the argument of this guy who wrote the book ten years ago, or whenever when I read it, it might have been ten years ago. Uh, part of his argument was um, was that what we're seeing today as, and we're calling the Temple Mount, that wasn't built by Herod; it was built by the Roman Tenth Legion when they occupied the ruins of Jerusalem. And my response to that, after looking at all the evidence, is "Stuyot bemitzagvaniot." Which in Hebrew translates as nonsense in tomato juice. Um, it, it's <laughs> the word of the week, folks. <laughs> utter and complete nonsense. People are, uh, people are really selling is, books. Is utter, there's, there, there are videos out about this. Well, there. I mean, so late, recently, I think it was in Biblical Archaeology Review, and that's why it's getting all this popularity. But it really is. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced. You're not, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that, and we now have it on. Uh, we have it on tape. That basically, uh, you know, it's it's recorded that that, that the present uh, the new the, the new flavor of the week, the new color of the month, regarding the Temple Mount not being there, uh, the Temple, you know, being not being where we presently call the Temple Mount is a convenient way to say, well, you know, with all the chaos and confusion there, that isn't where it was anyway. So let's just don't worry about it. Let's move on and, and claim another spot, which is not unlike some other things that are sort of like that where they kind of take that which was original and move it over somewhere else and say now this is the spot and you know, we see that over and over and over again by the way people if you haven't gotten a chance to um to 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 come to israel be in israel there are opportunities for that and i mean i want to put you on the spot here because one of the things that you do and one of the things that you've done um you're presently not living in the land of israel but when you were living in the land of israel you would on a regular basis um host people that would come into the land and, and take them on uh, individual tours now when you yeah. are in israel will you i'm actually doing two of those this okay, year. okay and so 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 tell us about that i mean what you know tell us just about the significance of people being in the land i mean just physically being in those places and specifically focusing on the issue of what we're talking about right now, the Temple Mount, where Solomon built the temple, the first temple, the second temple. What For you, what is it like, um, you know, leading people and, 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 you know, just give us a little yeah, taste so, of that. You know, for, for me, I, I for, lived in Israel for 20 years and um, every day, really, even, a, even after, you know, even 18, 19 years into it, I'd, I'd walk around and I'm like, am, am, I, am I actually walking down the same street where... David fought the Philistines. Like, <laughs> this is unbelievable. 
it, it's it really is it's incredible i mean this is what you know my ancestors dreamed about and, and sang songs about and prayed about for two thousand years returning to the land and now we get to do it and um you know i i, I th- it's just such a blessing i i, I you know I really feel like I'm there in the land and I go to these places and I feel this spirit, mm-hmm. this, this, you know, the spirit of Yehovah mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in these places. And, um, okay. you know, now am I going to say that, oh no, it has to be what we call the Temple Mount because I felt the spirit there and didn't feel it at the Gihon Spring. I'm not going to say that. That's ridiculous. Uh, that, that would be a, a very silly thing to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, but there definitely is, you know, I mean, geographically, there's no question in my mind that it's, it's, uh, it's the it's that the temple mount is the temple mount yeah <laughs> um and and not the gihon spring the gihon spring is where solomon was anointed there's a lot of important things that happened there when scripture wants to say the gihon spring it knows how to say gihon spring yes, uh, that's true. so you know um so it's not you know geographically the it, it isn't it but but really being in the land is such a blessing in fact keith you know I, you're doing some kind of a tour i know yeah, aren't in you fact, with, it's your, too with late. your ministry it's too late it's too late now because if they're listening to this i'm sure you'll do another tour yeah, in well, years to come yeah. i actually met some people in washington who said oh we're going on keith's little tour those are their exact words <laughs> <laughs> did they say did they say those words like, I mean, you guys, I'm a, you're gonna offend they me. actually said keith's little tour yeah, okay. i said i'm gonna tell keith that yeah, okay well folks <laughs> let me tell you this you know and i'm not sure what's gonna happen this will be the third time we're gonna be there and actually, you and I are going to be in the land of Israel at the physically physically at the same time. We'll be having a tour of people, uh, different parts of the country, even parts of the world that are coming in for that. You'll be there doing the Aviv search, which I am so mm-hmm. a little frustrated that last year I was able to join the people that were on the Aviv search. The year before, I was able to join uh, you at some portions of it. But now this year, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to have people uh, on the BFA International Tour. You're going to be there um, looking for what time it is. And it's really interesting, Nehemiah, this and you folks, I mean, I think we're going to have to wait until we get to Israel to bring this up. But around what's happening at that time of year is really amazing. I do think it's significant, uh, Nehemiah, that we're going to be there and and, and the work that you're doing uh, there to, to know what time it is. Can, can we wait? Let's wait a little bit to, to, to discuss that. Um, Sure. When we're in the land of Israel, let's move on because I'm hoping we're, we're yeah. you know we're 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 uh, we're plugging along here. It says here, yeah. Um, it's talk. This is one one little sentence I want to bring up in building the temple, verse seven uh, NIV. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. The quarry. It's like it's a just you know a fact. Now what verse are you? And I'm so confused. I'm in verse seven. Of chapter six. Of what chapter? Chapter six. Oh, oh so in chapter six, it's the same. Wait, how do you, how do you jump ahead to verse seven of chapters? Okay, oh, we, we got to talk about that verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Let's talk about in it. In building yeah. the temple, only blocks dressed at the... Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I can't let you do You it. won't let me do There's it. There's so many... I mean... Okay. No, I can't. Absolutely All right. not. Well, you want so to how, go... how did you skip chapter six, verse one? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. You're no, the time no. guy. Happened. You were talking about what was happening as far as the, the measurements of the the temple but we were in verse two then you were in hebrew so let's go back to no, six no, we, one we, we, let's let's do six one yeah, we have to. i'll read in hebrew and it came to pass um bishmonim shanav shana in the 480th year of the going out of the children of israel from the land of egypt in the fourth year in the month of ziv which is the second month of uh shlomo uh, of shlomo uh, ruling over israel and he built the house of jehovah is what it says in uh 1 Kings 6.1. So that's fascinating. This is the first time in certainly the book of Kings where we have this reference to a date based on the going out of the children of Israel from the land of, of, of Egypt. Um, and it's the 480th year. That's extremely important. Why is it extremely that's important? 
So, so, so let, let's do the math. Um, so we don't know exactly when this took place, but let's say it was sometime around, you know, it was in the 900s. We know that. So, so 900s plus 480 years means the children of Israel left Egypt sometime around 1450 BC. Um, read any history book. Um, and by history book, I mean modern um, secular history, and they'll tell you, oh no, the children of Israel didn't even exist as a people until um, until 1200 BC. And what's that mm-hmm. based on? It's based on the chronology of the Egyptian kings uh, established by Egyptologists who have a reference in around 1200 BC. That's the first written reference in, in uh, Egyptian sources to Israel in around 1200 BC. Um mm-hmm. And, they're, and they seem to be described as a tribe there, although some archaeologists have come along and said, actually, that's not even Israel. It's Jezreel, the valley. Um, it's some tribes that live in the Jezreel Valley. But then the bigger question is, how does Egyptian uh, chronology correspond with um, our system of BC and CE, which obviously didn't exist back then, right? Meaning in 1200 BC, um, King whoever you know, Ramses or whoever he was, he didn't know that it was 1200 BC. He knew it was, you know, year three of his reign. Exactly. So how do we correspond those two systems? And that's where things get really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and my conclusion from all the years I studied archaeology and, and all the years since of reading about archaeology and everything is that the archaeologists, especially the Egyptologists, just don't have a, you know, a, a useful system. I mean, they, they, they really don't know. They think they know, but their system is just so messed up. Um, there's a lot of inaccuracies about that. I want to say this. I actually, uh, I had, I actually had a, a couple folks. I call them the two, the two witnesses uh, that actually were, mm-hmm. were looking ahead at some of this, and they, they, they challenged. Uh, they, they were, they were giving a, a really good challenge on this, this actual verse regarding the 480th year, um, and yeah. how there are different um, people that use these these particular dates and perspectives to come at it from a different level. I would just say one thing in the Septuagint. It says the 440th year. I believe it is in the Septuagint. Oh. We talked about that before in Nehemiah where we're talking about the differences in the Septuagint, whether it's verses that are different or certainly translation, uh, what happens. That's an example where you have, um, where you have the actual um, a, a date difference. But I think what's, mm. what, I, what kind of hits me uh, is that there are people who've done in-depth study regarding these, this verse and, and figuring out the history. And there are some who use the, these, these same verse to argue why you know, the, the biblical reckoning of time is just way off because they can take this and connect it with something else and again that's not something that i've been able to uh to 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 dive into but i think it's phenomenal and i'm really glad nehemia that you didn't let us um let me mess this up because what was happening was (laughs) we were talking about the verse numbers and i was reading the verse number and we went to this the chronicles area based on the the actual um dimensions of the temple when we were talking about the dimension of the temple that's after this really key verse. So, so your eye jumps just, to the next verse. So I, my eye jumped to the next thing. But I will say uh, there no, is – No, you were trying to hide it. No. <laughs> I know you were trying to hide it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, let you, me just you, say you this, know, this. You know that this completely refutes your entire Methodist system. Yeah, the fact right. that this is 480 year destroys the Methodists. I know you're trying to hide it. It's a conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? There are, there are a number of books. And what I want to do this hopefully – during this time, yeah. we'll put up some uh, resources that people can check that kind of as a, a way to kind of um, balance this out because, again, we, we are pushed for time and we don't know that the technology is going to continue. So that's what I was trying to get to. Right. Uh, can can okay. we move on right. now? So, can we go to verse no, 7? So now, now we got – no, what are you talking about? It mentions no. here the month of Ziv, which is the second month. Oh, yeah. So we have three month names. 
that are mentioned um, in this right. in this story, and by story I mean this section of um, of Kings, not this mm-hmm. chapter, but this basic section, and they're all in the context of the interactions that Solomon has with King Hiram of Tyre. It mentions the month of Zeb, the month of Etanim, and the month of Bool, and we yeah. actually know of Bool from uh, Canaanite writings. Hiram was a Canaanite from Tyre, and so people have said to me, oh, Zeb, Etanim, and Bool, those are the real Hebrew names of these months, and the Kidding. answer is no absolutely one's ever said that not. No one's ever said that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is what people teach. This this is a big teaching out there. We don't remember. We don't know what the fourth month is really called or the fifth month, but we know the second month was originally Zeev. No, the second month was originally called HaChodesh HaSheni, which means the second month. And (laughs) Zeev is what the Canaanites called it. Bul is what the Canaanites called one of the months. Etanim is what the Canaanites called one of of those months. And this is why it says the month of Zeev, which is, for the The Israelites, the second month. There it is. Now, why is it mentioning Zeev as a month name? Because this is uh, in the two reasons, possibly. One is that it's out of respect for Hiram, who's mentioned in this chapter. Maybe his people will come and read this chapter as well. Um, And number two is this may actually be based on sources that were Canaanite sources. In other words, um, when the prophet sat down to write all this information, you know, did, did, did he personally witness that there were 10,000 people who went to cut the, the wood? Or were there documents that, that were kept by these Canaanites, um, maybe the Canaanites stationed in Israel? Um, and he had those documents, and he said, oh, okay, it says here it was the month of Zeev. Well, I know that's the second month. And so he writes, writes he explains to us what, what the document means. That's a great explanation. That's, probably the answer all right so um that i mean that that makes makes a lot of sense um now let's look in verse three and, and i'll do this really quick because we're I, we are pressed for time but we've got the um, and i think we've mentioned this before and this will be the word of the week so we've got the three sections of the of the tabernacle the outer one is called the courtyard or in hebrew azara mm-hmm. the the then inside is the kodesh the holy mm-hmm. section and then kodesh hakodeshim the holy of holies well, we have three, three, the same three sections, but with different names in the temple. It's the Ulam, Hechal, and Devir. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ulam, I think they translate as porch, maybe. Hechal mm-hmm. is the sanctuary, and Devir uh, is the inner sanctuary. I, I mean, I don't know how they translate in English, but it's Ulam, Hechal, and Devir. And Devir is the inner sanctuary. And we mentioned, I think, in one of the previous episodes, that the word Devorah, which means be, may be connected to this word Devir, which means the inner sanctuary, because bees live in a sanctuary, which we call a hive. Um, and, and so maybe that's the inner sanctuary uh, um, related to the word Dvorah. It's not for sure, but it's possible. So that's my word of the week, the word Devir. Tell us Dalet what it is. Bet Yudresh. Okay. Okay, Dalet Bet Yudresh from the root mm-hmm. Dalet Bet Resh. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, as we're dealing with that, um, like I said, we could go into great depth on uh, the meaning not only of the word, but how it worked and what yeah. Solomon was doing. And again, hopefully we'll have some other sections that we'll be able to, to, to go even further into that. Uh, All right, now we can talk about verse 7. Okay, now verse 7. In building uh, the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer. And, uh, this, I, what? No, it's what it says. That's not what it says. it says. No, it doesn't say that. It I says, don't believe and you. No, it says that in your NIV? It says, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. That's what it says. Wow. So let's read the NRSV. It says, The house was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the temple while it was being built. 
So, wow. So, yeah, there's really there's really no issue here. I mean, it's just so clear that, um, huh, interesting. Yeah, that, that's not even... I, well, I, we're, we're I missing something. I can't so. even believe it says that. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so here we have in verse seven. Um, it, it doesn't say the word "quarry" doesn't even appear there. The word is "masa," which actually means uh, bird to carry. It's um, from the word "nasa" to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and these these are stones mm-hmm. that were brought. That, that's the that's the you know the significance of it. That these stones were brought from somewhere else. Um, and so, and actually, you could translate it. Possibly, as you could read it very differently, you could say in the in the in the temple or the house, literally when it was being built, um, was built of complete stones that were carried, meaning they were complete stones that were you know the same they were you know the way they were cut out of the mountain or the way they were found in the fields is the way that they were um, is is the way that they were cut um, is the way that they were used. Um, and then it has this, you know, strange sentence. It says, "and and and hammers and and axes and any implement of of iron was not heard in the house when it was being built." So, um, so that's actually a really interesting statement, and it brings us back to Exodus chapter twenty, verse twenty-five, um, which says, Exodus twenty twenty-five. It says, um, I'll read in the King James, if, if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Um, and it's interesting, it says their tool, in the New Revised Standard Version, it says if you use a chisel upon it, you profane it. Let's see the JPS. It says, uh, for by wielding your tool upon them, you have profaned them. And the word they're translating tool and chisel and implement in all those is the word cherev, which means sword, and that and that's the that's the you know that reveals what the issue mm. is here. That a chisel, uh, any any metal implement, is viewed essentially as a form of a sword. Um, you know, it's a sharp metal object, and the point is the altar of God is holy, and it should not be fashioned. It should not be chiseled out using a sword or something like a sword, a metal object. So how did he cut it without using metal object, without using metal? How is it possible that he Great cut question. it without using metal? So your translation solved the problem for us by telling us that he finished it at the quarry. <laughs> so he did use mm-hmm. metal. He just used metal at the quarry. And look, it's possible, mm-hmm. even though that's not what it says in the verse, it's possible that that's, that that's actually what happened, meaning... That's the point of saying that the no iron tool, like the JPS says, uh, so that no hammer or axe or any iron tool was heard in the house while it was being built. Uh, in other words, it was heard at the quarry, but not at the temple. And again, the word quarry isn't in this verse in the Hebrew. But maybe they did you know, f- fashion these stones far enough right. away from the temple that it wasn't heard in the temple. Does that make sense? Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Uh, are you with me? Yes. Okay. So, but this then opens up the door for the rabbis to come along and 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 spin an entire web of stories about this. Uh, do you know the rabbinical stories about this passage? No, I do not. Okay. I do not know those. So there's, there's an entire, almost an entire literature about this particular verse. Uh, definitely an entire legend, uh, you know, constellation of legends. So. How did Solomon cut the stones? Well, every little Jewish boy growing up knows that Solomon cut the stones using the shamir. What is shamir? Shamir in later sources is described as a certain type of worm that would eat stone. 
Um, no way. In, yes. It was a worm that eats at the eighth stone. Uh, in the early sources, it's not clear that it's a worm, but it is something very small that eats stone, and in fact will cut any sort of stone or glass or anything that it comes in contact with except for lead. Uh, and so it was contained within lead. Um, there's actually one modern um, uh, Jewish scholar who has suggested that it was some type of radioactive substance because it can be contained within lead. That's kind of ridiculous. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, I guess. But um, <laughs> there's nothing in the sources that would indicate it, it was uh, uh, radioactive. But it was some kind of possibly a worm or something that we're told in one source was as thin as a human hair and it would cut everything, consume everything except for lead and that he used this worm to cut the stones. And so he did cut them at the site of the temple. This is what the rabbis teach. Um, but he did it using a worm, not stone, not, not metal implements. And actually this worm is really important in rabbinical literature. We're told that it was created. We're told, told the specific time in history when it was created in the, in the writings of the rabbis in ethics of the father. That's the father's the, which is the opening section of, of the Mishnah called in Hebrew, Pirkei Avot. It actually mentions this Shamir, this, this mythical worm as being created on, uh, the sixth day, uh, uh, tour going into Shabbat, meaning the sixth day late in the afternoon, just before Shabbat. It was one of a handful of things that was created. Um, so, so it's actually really important in, in rabbinical literature. This this idea of the shamir, this magical worm, this uh, you know mythical worm. Now, where did they get the shamir from? So, this actually appears in the Babylonian Talmud in the Tractate of Gitin 68a, and I want people to go look that up for yourselves. It talks about how Solomon didn't know where to get the shamir from, um, mm. and so he he had to he. <laughs> you're not going to believe this. I, I, are you sitting down, Keith? Yes, I'm with you. So we're told that Solomon went to speak to Ashmadai, the prince of the demons, in order to for the Ashmadai, the prince of the demons, to reveal to Solomon where how he could get a hold of this shamir worm. Um, and Ashmadai reveals to him that it was it was uh, preserved it was it was used by the hoopoe, which is a type of bird um, that lives in the mountains. It, it was used by the hoopoe in order to cut rocks, and that he could trick the hoopoe into turning over the worm and use that to then build the temple. Um, this is in the Talmud that Solomon actually captured Ashmadai, the king of the demons or prince of the demons, and 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 manipulated him in order to get this information and uh, um, what do you have to say about that Keith I'm so glad that we're just about at the end of uh, <laughs> this one of the most difficult uh, recordings I think um, if you saw what I'm doing here while you're what talking you, and waxing on about something we hear you're turning pages source no you're yeah you're you're, you're <laughs> source that I don't I've never even read I yeah I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't doesn't it doesn't move me. <laughs> okay. Well, so when it, when I when I hear about this, that the rabbis are are um, are um, tarnishing the name of Solomon, saying that he spoke with a demon and used this demonic power to then build the temple. I'm 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 troubled by that. Deeply troubled by it. Uh, it does make me think of Matthew chapter nine verse thirty four, and then again Matthew twelve twenty four, and then the parallels in the other gospels. It says in nine thirty four, but the Pharisees said about Yeshua, it is by the de- by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And then in 1224 again of Matthew, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man doth cast out demons, but 
does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. So you read that in the Gospels and you think, what? Why would they accuse Yeshua of harnessing the power of demons? But in their mind, it made perfect sense because they believed that Solomon had harnessed the power of the king, the prince of the demons. Think okay, about that. The source, uh, the source, Nehemiah, from your what you were talking about. The people yeah. have to see this source. Okay, you've got to see it for yourself. Say, it's in the this, ba- you know, absolutely. It's in the yeah. Babylonian Talmud, the Tractate of Gitin, sixty-eight A, and it goes into sixty-eight B, um, and it speaks there about how it's a whole long story, a long drawn-out account of, of Solomon sending Benayahu, the son of Yehoiada, to capture Ashmedai, the king of the de- prince of the demons, and he brings him back as a prisoner, and he eventually reveals to him the. Uh, the they translate it in the English as a woodpecker, but it's actually a hoopoe that um, has, you know, that that has this this, this special worm. Um, anyway, so here's another passage in the Talmud in Psachim 110a, and it says Rabbi Joseph said the demon Joseph told me that Ashmedai, king of the demons, is appointed over blah blah blah, and it goes on. So what what this means is, according to the Talmud, there were rabbis who spoke with demons and got information from demons. Now I don't know if they actually did, but they claimed to be speaking to demons and get secret uh, mystical information from the demons. They claimed that Solomon got secret mystical information from the demons, and so now it makes sense why they would accuse Yeshua of being in league with demons because they believed that they were in league with demons according to their own sources. Now, here's a really interesting thing I came across during my preparation. I, I, I looked in the rabbinical commentaries on this verse to see what they said. So that was from the Talmud I just read you. The Talmud was completed around the year 500 A.D., there's a rabbi in the 13th century named Radak, or Rabbi David Kimchi, and he writes in his commentary on 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 7 about this whole story about the about the um about the shamir, this this magical worm that's supposed to cut stone. And then he says he he doesn't mention the demons though. He says uh, he actually he says this was transmitted through tradition by the sages from the days of Moses our rabbi and it must not be doubted. Wow. Wow. Are you with me, Keith? So he's saying, how do we know about this mythical, uh, he's going to call it mythical. How do we know about this, this, um, this holy worm that can cut stone because our rabbis were knew this from the time of Moses because Moses too used the, 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 uh, the worm to incise the, uh, the stones on the ephod. That's what they say. And so how do the rabbis know this is because it sounds ridiculous. There was a worm that ate stone. What the, he says, he says, you can't doubt it because this was transmitted through tradition by the rabbis from the days of Moses. Now, how, According to the earlier rabbinical source, it didn't go to Moses. Come, go back to Moses. To Moses, um, it went back to Ashmedai, the prince of the demons. So, which one is it? The early rabbis attributed this secret knowledge, to something being revealed by demons. The later rabbis say it was, you know, they claim it goes back to a, a mosaic tradition or a law. And now I'm just gonna I'm gonna end with this. Uh, so, did they know about it from the oral law revealed to Moses or from Ashmedai, the prince of the demons? Maybe the oral law comes from right. the demons, not from Moses. Well, I'll tell you folks what happened. Uh, as Nehemiah was going on and on about this, uh, these sources, whatever, I, I was cut off. I, I, did, I didn't hear... Thank God. Yeah, and you know what? I'm, and I'm now going to suggest and this is probably, the, this has just moved to the number one most frustrating recording we have done, even ahead of the one where we cut off eight times. So I am at the place now where we're almost at the end of the, this, this section and and so I'm going to ask people, you know, if you have anything else you'd like to say, go. I'm going to hold my hold my frustration. Um, 
so I will say this: that people could, um, I could actually listen to. Um, no, I'm in a time. I'm in a time warp, and, and you know, it's interesting when you're talking about that. I think that, Keith has fallen into a singularity. You're talking something about a worm and rabbinic sources. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, uh, this is the number one frustrating recording. So I would like to give this over to you. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this this section? You just missed the number one profit pearl of the whole section, but whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. God stopped you from speaking so the people could hear me. <laughs> Amen. And he's going to stop I, who me knows? again. All right. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, let's just end with the last couple verses. It says in verse, uh, and this is my 11 through 13 in chapter 6. I think it's the, the same for you. And we have this statement here. It says um, uh, in verse 12, uh, this, uh, this, this house or this temple which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and my judgments, you will do, and you will keep my commandments to walk in them. I will establish or raise up, literally, uh, my word with you uh, that I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel, and I will not leave my people Israel. So there we have this promise. If we keep the commandments, God will be with us. It doesn't say the negative what happens, but we know that from other places. And I think ah. I'm just going to end the program myself because it sounds like Keith isn't, isn't there. Isn't that our... Oh, there you are. Oh, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I'm still here. Uh, okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, and he's gone. Well, the good news is we have one more program that we have to do before we get to Israel, and that's the portion of Titsave, which is we'll do at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let, let's just let's just end it. Can we end it with prayer? Please go ahead and pray for us, Nehemiah. Okay. Yehovah, Vinu Shabashamayim, Yehovah, our Father in heaven. I come before Yehovah and, and I ask that you put your blessing upon this program, that you give us the ability to come together and, and, and speak about your word. And, and maybe the challenges that we're facing, maybe this is a picture of, 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 of what we need to do because we can be sitting on opposite sides of the world speaking over Skype. Um, but the common ground is 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 it's just not there and if we're sitting in the same place and we have the com the physical common ground then that becomes then a picture of the common ground that we can focus on looking for your truth in your word and Yehovah, I ask that you give us this opportunity that you, you you bless us in a way that we can come together and everything will work out i pray that we can continue to share your word and study your word and dive down into the depths of the ocean and, and pull out those prophet pearls uh, and share them with people. And Yehovah, it's really been a, a blessing for me to be able to uh, go through these portions with Keith. And um, I've learned so much more from just going over the portions and being forced to dialogue about them and uh, in, a, in a way that is constructive and, and honors you and and Yehovah, I pray that in the spirit of Solomon building this temple and speaking to Hiram of Tyre, that we can speak to the world and let them know that you are great, that you are the greatest God, that there is none as great as you, and that we shouldn't be embarrassed to proclaim that even to a Canaanite like Hiram, that we can proclaim this to all the world, that Yehovah, Atahu Elohim, Yehovah, you are Elohim, you are the one true God, En Od, there is no other. And Yehovah, I ask that all of our knowledge comes from you 
and not from from demons or people who claim to be getting their information from demons, but only from your word and only from you, and that we all come before you in truth. May this be your will, Yehovah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For more information, please visit NehemiahsWall.com and BFAInternational.com. Thank you.